For over 45 years, Pensacola Christian College has set aside some time each spring semester for Bible conference. These days of concentrated study and preaching from the Word of God are a time of spiritual enrichment for our students, faculty and staff, and many others who join us for these services. We're pleased to welcome you to the PCC Bible Conference. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 11, and then we'll go from Mark chapter 11 to Mark chapter 9. And uh, you may remain seated, and I'm just going to keep on moving right here. I'm looking at the clock. Uh, It's 9.39. All right. Thank you for giving me that water there, too. First of all, we're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 11. I really have enjoyed being in the conference thus far. Uh, Let me give you a little advice that I've always uh, tried to adhere to uh, myself, and that is every time I hear some preaching, I always at least, I will get, I almost always get more than one point that I can take home with me, but I major on, what, is that you, John Wood? Okay, good to see you, buddy. Uh, Now, there's a lot of people I'm recognizing every now and then, but this is a guy I went to school with. I can't believe you're still alive, but anyway, uh, uh, so... (laughs) Most of my friends are dead at my age. But anyway, um, so I, 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 I usually get more than one point, but I always try to zero in on one point. So the first message I've heard was from Brother Butler, and he brought a great message on stewarding your whatsoever. So my takeaway was a phrase that he said that I thought was a classic, and I might not be quoting it directly, but it was like this, Christ paid for you. Is he getting his money's worth? That is a classic. Amen. So when I hear Brother Scott Toole, I hope I can find something. But anyway, and uh, I know I will. Matter of fact, I told Scott, back clean up when I'm through because you will hear an expositor par excellence. Okay. Uh, Thank you for that great introduction. (laughs) I was so impressed I signed my own Bible. But anyway, um, (laughs) so it is good to be with my old friend, Dr. Shoemaker. I say old, he will forever be young to me because when I met him, he was a very skinny little, barely a teenager when I got to know him. Amen. Hard to believe that his parents were much older, much younger than he is now when I met them. It's weird how that works out. If you live long enough, life takes a lot of weird turns, such as aging. (laughs) I was telling somebody yesterday, I was talking to my wife and I said, you know, I met this old man. I said, why am I imitating an old man? I am an old man, but anyway, just be yourself, all right, ready? Mark chapter 11, verse number 22, and Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, if you will, just turn back a couple of pages to Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, and then we're going to pray. Mark 9, verses 23 and 24. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out, And said with tears, would you say this with me out loud, the next few words, until we get to the end of the verse. Ready? Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Let's do that two more times, all right? Ready? Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You got it memorized? 
Let's do it one more time. Ready? Lord, I believe. Help thou. Very good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we thank you that you hear our prayer. And we're still blown away by the fact that you honor our prayer. And even more so that you answer our prayer. Our prayer is the day that you will help some of our brothers and sisters in Christ to have some doubts resolved. And if not resolved, I pray that they will follow the trajectory that will lead them to an undaunted faith in thee. We say with this man many, many years ago, Lord, we believe. Help thou our unbelief in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm deeply concerned. I'm deeply concerned at the number of young people between 18 and 32 years of age that are renouncing their faith. In the research I've been doing in the last 10 years on this matter, as we've seen this trending become viral, I've been interested to what those who have called themselves um, deconvergents or um, now people who have abdicated and left the faith, I've been interested in what they have said. And almost to the man and to the woman, the one thing that all of them have in common is they said, when I had questions, no one seemed to have an answer. It's almost like even among our very strict Bible-believing group, it's like, shut up and just believe. Now, for the choleric temperament, that may be fine. But for the melancholy or people that have a propensity to doubt everything, the truth of the matter is, if you doubt, you don't just doubt faith, you doubt everything. This guy says he loves you and he wants to marry you and you're gung-ho and then you wake up in the middle of the night, what have I done? You're about to buy a car, even a used one that you're getting at a good price, that your hand gets sweaty, you doubt everything. And so many times we don't realize that many times doubt is a personality thing, but it's more than a personality thing. In the day and age that we're living in, in the culture that we're living in right now, there is a great, strong spiritual warfare that is on the attack. I submit to you, the stronger believer you are, the greater target you become for Satan. Because if he can't get you to hell, and he can't if you're saved, then he'll do everything he can to get you ineffective in your testimony. And nothing much more is ineffective than a person who at one time adhered to faith and now has turned away from faith. It's like to the unbeliever, I told you so. And let me make something really clear to all of you, okay? It is very natural to doubt. Especially those of you that, like myself, reared up in a Bible-believing environment. Do we believe only because this is what we were taught to believe? Had we been reared up in a Muslim community, would we be Islam? If we were reared up in a Hindu community, would we be Hindu? If we were reared up in a communist, atheistic environment, would we be communistic and atheistic? And I had to fight that battle myself, but I can say by the grace of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God, I believe not just because I was taught that, but I believe because I own it now. But it's been a hard own. 
Matter of fact, my father was one of the finest Bible teachers I knew, had a doctor's degree in Bible languages. And I remember saying, now, Dad, I'm not saying I, I don't believe. And I was a youngster. I said, but just in case I have a friend that really doesn't believe, how can I explain to him that I know that there's a God and I know the Bible's the Word of God? My father saw through that. He built a radio message entitled, Johnny Wants to Know. <laughs> that was me. You know, if you have my name, you're, you're called everything from toilets to, you know, Johnny wants to learn or, you know, anyway. Doubt. God does have an answer for every problem that we have. But I want to assure you, hear me out, that doubt is not the same as unbelief. Now, as we read here, the man said, help them might unbelief, but it's not because he wanted to own it. He wanted to disassociate himself from that by saying, Lord, I do believe. But the one who embraces unbelief and declares himself or herself an unbeliever is one who is on a path to staying in unbelief. But the doubter, as a rule, has entered into a trajectory saying, I want to believe, I'm just having a difficult time. And God helps us if we're willing, if we're willing. Jesus said in John 7, 17, if you want to know the doctrine, then you may know whether it's of me or whether it's of God. Of course, knowing that it is of him is of God, but he was dealing with people who were immature in their belief. Let's talk about doubt for a moment. Number one, what is doubt? Number one, doubt is being in two minds. Mark eleven twenty three 23 was where we began our message today. Let me just go there for just a moment. It says, for verily I say unto you, this is Jesus, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. What, a, what an act of faith. And shall not doubt in his heart. The word doubt there is the word dikrino in Greek. It is a word that simply means being in a state of mind that is so torn between various options that one cannot make up their mind. It literally means being in two minds. So the word doubt there is diacrino, being in two minds. We see this same word used, translated in English a different way, in James 1 verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, I always smile when I read that, if any of you lack wisdom, anybody need air? Okay. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, they give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. And this is really good, meaning abrading not, he's not going to scold you because you're having doubts. Okay? Let let me do a parenthetical here. Give me an adjective defining this name. Thomas. Doubting. It's interesting. You know, the Bible never calls him doubting Thomas. You know that, don't you? You know, the Bible does call him. Somebody help me. What's the Bible call him? Didymus. You know what Didymus means? The twin. Now, when you're called the twin, that means you're not the famous one. You're the twin of the famous one. You know what church history says? That church history says that Thomas looked so much like Jesus, walked so much like Jesus, talked so much like Jesus, that he was often mistaken for Jesus. And some scholars say that's one reason Judas Iscariot had to kiss Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, because there was another one that looked so much like him. If you were the devil and there was somebody that looked so much like Jesus, talked so much like Jesus, who would you want to be the doubter? That guy. And yet it was that guy that made the greatest assertion of the deity of Christ than any other disciple. It wasn't Simon Peter who said, 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood hath not revealed in thee. But the greatest confirmation of the deity came from Thomas, who, yes, he did doubt, but he looked straight at Jesus and declared, My Lord and my God, the greatest defining statement of who Jesus is and why he came. God uses doubters. And God looks on the bright side. He's Didymus, not the doubter. He sees the long term, amen? That's like when he called Gideon a great man of valor. Right. He was hiding from the Midianites. But God sees us for what we can become in him. Hallelujah. But here in James chapter 1, verse number 6, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering. There it is again. For he that wavereth, that's the word dicrino, wavering. You're in two minds. By the way, the Chinese equivalent of that word is a picture of one man with one foot in one boat and the other foot in the other boat. Okay, you got it? Verse number seven, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And then he kind of, the greatest comment in the Bible is the Bible. So God comments about what wavereth means. He says, a double-minded man, dipsukolo. Which means, this is a great definition, to believe, it means to be vacillating in one opinion. Vacillating. You're on the brink, going either way. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Doubt is being in two minds. Number two, look at Luke chapter 12. Doubt is being like, doubt is like being suspended in midair. Luke chapter 12. Let's go to Luke chapter 12 for just a moment, Okay. Luke chapter 12, and let's look at this, verse number 27. He said, consider the lilies, how they grow, they toll not, and they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothed the grass, which today is today in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more shall he clothe you, O ye of little faith? So God is saying, look at my creation. Even Solomon is not arrayed like one of my lilies. Can that be an accident? This is the product of divine design. Look at the lilies. Don't, don't, don't go to disbelief. Get away from your doubts. The world will say, the devil will say, believe your doubts. And doubt your faith. I'm saying to you, doubt your doubts. <laughs> believe your belief. Jesus, look, look at verse 29, says, And seek not ye what ye shall eat or, be, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. And the word doubtful there is the Greek word metadrizo. It's where we get our word meteor from. It means literally to be suspended in midair. That's an incredibly uncomfortable place. The best definition I can give you of this is when my sister, my teenage sister, had an older boyfriend that wanted to impress her, and I was about nine years old at the time, um, and so we were climbing up the Washington Monument near where my dad pastored, and uh, at that time, the Washington Monument had great stairs, and there was a great open space in the middle, so you could literally jump over the edge from the top to the bottom if you wanted to. I didn't want to. But my sister's boyfriend thought this would be impressive. He grabs me under the arms, hangs me out at the top of the Washington Monument over absolutely nothing. I was as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I didn't like that. 
Jesus said, that's what doubt means. Like you're suspended in midair. It's a very uncomfortable place to be. It's the place of non-resolution. It's the place of suspense, just not knowing. And that's where some of you are right now. Is it not comforting that Jesus knows what's going on in your heart and mind? This should be encouraging to you. Like you're sitting there saying, nobody knows what I'm going through. They don't know that I really am having a problem believing all this stuff. And Jesus says, I know. The omniscient God knows. Uh, Luke 24, doubt is an inner argument. Look at Luke 24 for just a moment. Luke 24, all right? Luke 24, verse number 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. This is after Jesus rose again from the grave and they're thinking, for one thing, they're believing in ghosts. And they think that Jesus is a ghost. What an insult. Verse number 38, and he said unto them, why are ye troubled? Look at this wording. Why do thoughts rise, arise in your hearts? Now, these are not just normal thoughts. The word thought there is the word dialogimos, dialogimos. That's where we get the word dialogue from. So Jesus says, why is this dialogue going on inside of you? That's a thinking of a man arguing with himself. It is an inward debate. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? I was mentioning Thomas a while ago. John 20. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Operating in faith, even though there's this argument going inside of you. Doubt is an inner argument, a dialogue. Talk, talk in yourself. Matthew chapter 14, real quickly. Doubt is faltering. Matthew 14, verse number 30. You're familiar with this. Simon Peter asked Jesus to let him come and walk out there. Jesus said, come on. But when he saw the wind, verse 30, Matthew 14, 30, boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. <laughs> it's a good thing he didn't get too elaborate, right? Oh, thou mighty God of Rehoboam, Jeroboam, the bold boys, Jehoshaphat, and the fat fellows, we come to you as unbelieves we most tired. He drowned. He just simply said, Lord, save me. That's where some of you need to be today. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Help my unbelief, please, Lord. You don't have to get fancy. Don't try to impress God with what you know. He made your brain, you know, so talk to him. Verse 31, and immediately, I love this. Immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said to him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The word there is in Greek, distazzo, which means, I sound like an Italian when I said that one, distazzo, that's what I mean. Okay, Greek and Hebrew, but anyway, Greek and Italian, little Latin, anyway. Yo distazzo, I don't know why that's impressing me right now, you know. <laughs> it means to falter, it means to hold back. Wow. Boy, I'm going to try to do this the best of my ability. Some of you remember uh, recent days of the grandson of Carl Walenda has been walking across, you know, the Niagara Falls and so on. 
Carl Walenda was the founder of the Flying Walendas, the High Wire Act, and he was really phenomenal. And uh, the circus was coming to town, and the weathermen wanted to really impress the people by telling them the day before, I've already asked Mr. Walenda, he's going to let me give the weather report tomorrow from the high wire. He asked permission, and Walenda said, sure, that'll be fine, I'll be here. So the man climbed up in the crow's net, and just before they were to break for commercial, he kept his word, he stepped out onto the high wire, the weatherman, had never walked the wire before, and said, the temperature tomorrow, gave the temperature, talked about cloudy or uncloudy, and then they broke for commercial. True story, and the man says the car will end to the great high wire uh, uh, walker, Mr. Walenda, do, do I put my left foot or my right foot back? And Walenda said, neither. Sir, neither. I'm, I'm trembling, I'm scared. He said, you didn't ask me how to do this. You asked if you could give the report on the highway. I said, yes, but you didn't let me explain what you need to do. Now what do I do? And Walenda said, there's 33 steps straight in front of you. What? 33 steps. My son, I've been walking the wire all my life. You have never been on this wire, and I'm telling you, I would rather take one, I would rather take 33 steps forward the one step back. I'll be with you. That's where some of you are right now. You've taken this one step. You've read maybe Dawkins. You've read maybe Harris. You've read some infidels that are in for hell. And you're thinking, oh man, they've got quite an argument. And you've stepped out there. And then suddenly you see yourself, I'm at Pensacola Christian College. If my mom and dad know what's going on in my mind right now, it would break their heart. And I don't want to break their heart, but I am standing here. God help me. I'm ready to take that one step. No! There's 33 steps forward. You keep walking. So how am I going to keep from falling if I'm full of so much doubt? Number one, here we are. Ready? Romans chapter 7. Make up your mind! What? I said make up your mind. Look at Romans chapter 7, okay? I'm going to pinpoint some verses and I want you to see something here. Romans chapter 7, verse number 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would not, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. I hate the fact that I've got this doubt. I just can't live like this forever. I hate it. I really want to believe. I just don't see enough evidence. Lord knows where you're at. The great apostle said in verse number 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Okay, I've got a willing heart, but I'm sorry, I just can't find the footing. 33 steps, four years at this school, and and I have to keep on walking by faith and not by, yeah. When I say make up your mind, here's where I get this from. Verse number 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Watch this. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. With the mind, I serve the law of God. Say with me. 
Sean McDowell, the son of the famous um, apologist, Josh McDowell, had doubts. Hey, I had doubts. Even though my father had this great education in the Bible, I had doubts. Josh McDowell's son, Sean, had doubts. His father gave him some of the greatest advice. He said, son, we guard our heart with our mind. We don't guard our mind with our heart. You see, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. So with the mind, you see, young people, listen to me. Foolish is the person who says we leave our brain outside the building when we come in here. We leave our brain outside of theology class and we simply walk by faith without thinking. That's not what the Bible teaches. With a mind, I make up my mind. I will believe. I make up my mind. You see what it says in Romans chapter 8, the very next verse? Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Hey, Dr. Dell, have you ever noticed the modern translations when it says uh, the first part of chapter 8, verse 1, they say this next phrase is not in the most original or in the most ancient manuscripts, so that ought not to be there. You ever notice that? You see, the first part of verse number 1 is dealing with positional truth. The positional truth. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. Don't leave out the next phrase. The devil would love for you to leave out the next phrase because the next phrase has to do with practical truth. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So how can I help not doubting? What do I do? Number one, make up your mind. I'm going to believe with my mind. And number two, walk in the spirit Or in other words, keep the line of communication open. I can talk to you, but I cannot talk you into believing. Like one great old preacher that didn't have a formal education gave an answer to somebody I thought that was a classic. When people had told him God is dead, he says, I want to know if God is dead, who were his pallbearers? If God is dead, why wasn't I notified since I'm the next of kin? And if God is dead, I love this, who did I talk to this morning? Duh. You can't live an imaginary life for most all of your life talking to someone that doesn't exist. Fanny Crosby never was able to see, but God was so real to her when asked, how are you going to know Jesus when you see him? She said, I shall know him, I shall know him. By the print of the nails in his hands, she'd been communicating with him all of her life. Who walk in the spirit, not after flesh. See, if you're not in communication with someone, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a great friend, maybe even a girlfriend or boyfriend, and you hadn't seen him in such a long time, and you didn't see a, a picture of him in a long time, and you and you stop remembering their features, and you feel bad about it? You stop remembering, and then suddenly you see them again, you recognize the tenure of their voice, you recognize their nose, their eyes, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. But you go for a period of time, even the greatest of minds, the highest of IQs can go into doubt about how someone is if they haven't been with that person for a long time. I hope this is making sense. 
Years ago, some of you don't know this, but I, I, I'm looking back here to some people that might remember. Remember Telly Savalas, Kojak? Huh? Kojak was the most famous actor in the early 1970s, late 1960s. He played, Telly Savalas played Kojak, a detective. Um, bald guy, always had a sucker in his mouth and always had the right answer. He missed her on top of it, you know. His, his personal persona was very similar to his acting persona. And um, Dr. Paul Van Gorder, the great Bible teacher from Michigan, who used to be with the uh, um, uh, M.R. DeHaan, just a great Bible teacher, was flying to Athens. Now, Savalas was Greece himself by roots. Savalas is riding first class in the airplane, he gets on board, Van Gorder's in the front row of the coach, he can see through the curtains, here comes Telly Savalas, the most famous TV actor in America at the time, and Savalas just announces to everybody, I'm on holiday, no interviews, leave me alone, and he puts his stuff in the overhead and grumpily sits down. And... Van Gorder said he noticed as the plane leveled off and they were going to be in about an eight-hour flight, he noticed that a well-dressed, distinguished gentleman in his mid-30s gets up and he crosses over to meet with Savalas. And he said, Mr. Savalas, you know, the country of Greece is so proud of you and your heritage. You know, I have a few questions here. Could I sit here and, and talk to you for just a little bit? And Savalas said, no, you may not. I guess you didn't hear me when I said, no interviews. Buzz off, buddy. His exact words, buzz off, buddy. So as they were now about 45 minutes away from the descent into Athens, Van Gorder sees that same mid-30ish young man, well-dressed, distinguished, cross back over through the first class, and he said, Mr. Savalas, I, I did honor your wishes to be left alone, but I'm telling you, Greece would like to hear from you. I know they would. I have a, just a couple of questions. I think I could take care of them in three minutes, and I promise you, no more than five minutes. Do you got, you got five minutes for me? So Allah said, you know, uh, maybe I need to push the little button and get the stewardess to come over here and explain what we Americans mean by buzz off. And I'm telling you, for the final time, buddy, buzz off. The well-dressed, distinguished gentleman said, Mr. Savalas, I am so sorry. I did not mean to make you unhappy, and I promise you, I'll not bother you anymore. Went over and sat down. The plane landed. Van Gorder was really interested. Why was he so rude and stuff? And he said, we were taxiing in, and this was before they had the, the big tubes that would come, and you would unload on these tubes, but they would have a set of stairs, and they would put it up to the jet, and he saw a group of reporters with stenograph notebooks and, and cassette recorders ready. Savalas looks out the window, presuming they're there to see the famous TV star. And Van Gorder said he heard Savalas curse, blankety blank. I'm not giving any interviews. I'm on holiday, blah, 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 blah. So the plane landed. So Savalas was in a hurry to get off and get past all those reporters that were going to bother him. He grabs his overhead and begins to storm out in the aisle and the little stewardess puts her hands up in the air and says, stop right there. 
Well, that's the first time anybody been rude to him on that whole trip. She says, stop right there, sir. He says, what do you mean? She says, no one exits the plane before his majesty. The well-dressed distinguished gentleman in his mid-30s was the king of Greece, whom Swallis told not once but twice, buzz off, buddy. And the king walks off of the plane, and all of those reporters could care less about the American TV star. They're all following the king, taking every note of every word. Imagine Savalas getting off the plane, holding his little bag, thinking, wow, what might have happened had I got into conversation with the king? Maybe the king would have said, where are you staying? Oh, that's not nice enough. Why don't you stay at the palace? Oh, they've got good food there, but not as good as my chef. Can you imagine the dialogue that could have happened between the king and Savalas? Instead of getting overly worked up over the dialogue going in your own mind, why don't you, by faith, start talking to Jesus? Just talk to him like he's real. He is real. And the act of faith means we talk whether we feel like it or not. We pray whether we want to or not. And that will make all of the difference. How do I deal with my doubts? Make up your mind. You serve the Lord with your mind. And you tell your mind. You tell your heart. For the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked, Jeremiah said. Who can know it? Don't give me the jazz. Well, if I know my heart, you don't know your heart. You lie to yourself. The flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. Jesus knows that. Walk in the spirit. And you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And once you get to know the Lord Jesus well enough, you'll find that the doubts do not disappear overnight. They evaporate. They, they evaporate in the essence of the Son of God who arises, as Malachi says, with healing in his wings. And for most of us that are reared up in the faith, our illumination is rarely the comet or the meteor. It's like the rising of the sun. And it's hard to know when the full rays of the assurance gets there. But I'm here to tell you after knowing Jesus for these many decades, Jesus is more real to me than anybody in this building. And what I'm experiencing takes all of the arguments against him totally away. For if you live in intimacy, you begin to see prayers answered. You begin to see miracle after miracle after miracle. And I honestly feel sorry for those of you who have not made up your mind and, are, and, have not, and you're not communicating with the Lord. Please, you are the same person for two things. The books you read and the people you meet. Same person one year from the day, except for the books you read and the people you meet. How about reading this book? How about reading faith? How about talking to the one who's the author and the what? Finisher of our faith. Oh, ye of doubtful mind. He loves you. He didn't stop loving you because you've doubted him. He loves you. 
talk to him, even when you don't feel like it. You've been listening to a Bible conference message from Pensacola Christian College. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.